You're listening to the Covenant original series, Monsters. This is Regret. So a few years back, we had a young man who came to our church in his early 20s. He's a first-time guest, like some of you are here today. And he really wasn't what you would call the church-going type. It was really one of the first times in his life that he had ever gone to church. A young couple in our church had invited him, and he ended up coming because of some difficult situations that he was walking through in his life. And he really didn't have anybody here that he knew. He was only connected to one or two people. And, and, and I met up with him after church, after I was done preaching. He caught me in between services, and he said, hey, could I talk to you for a minute? It was clear that the service had really impacted him. You know, his eyes were all red, and it was clear that he'd been very emotional. I said, of course, buddy, let me, let me kind of talk with these people and I'll meet you back behind the tent that we have, our first time guest tent. I said, okay. I walked around the side and I, and I came to the back and, and there he was sitting in this chair, just his hands cupping and cradling his face, just crying. Now keep in mind, I don't know who this is. I've never talked with this person before, but I sat down and I said, man, what's going on? And he started to share his story and he didn't really get into great detail, but I could tell he was really going through a tough place in his life. And he said, I've never really been to church much before. In fact, I really don't know much about Jesus. I really can't even say I've read the Bible. My mom used to read it to me sometimes, but I, I really don't know that much about it. And I said, that's okay. And right then in that moment, I don't know if you've experienced this before, but the Holy Spirit just really, I felt in my heart said, hey, talk to him about Jesus. Tell him about your relationship with Jesus. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit pushing me to do that. You ever experienced that moment before? We feel like the Holy Spirit is like, talk to them about the Lord. Talk to them about me. But then right as I was sensing that, somebody walked around the corner and said, hey, Pastor Travis, we, we really need you. This person's out here, and this is going on, and that's going on. So I looked at the young man, and I said, hey, buddy, listen, I really want to engage in this conversation. Maybe could you write your phone number down, and then let's grab some coffee this week. And he said, yeah, yeah, of course, man. And he ripped out this piece of paper and wrote his name and wrote his number down, handed it to me, put it in my pocket and walked away. So I called him that Wednesday and I said, hey, uh, you know, this is Pastor Travis. I got his voicemail, left him a message. Hey, give me a call back. I didn't hear from him. So I texted him the next day. Hey, man, really great meeting up with you on Sunday. I really wanted to grab that cup of coffee. Didn't hear back from him, which is normal. If you're a pastor, you used to getting blown off all the time. <laughs> That upcoming Sunday, I thought, well, for sure, like, I'll see him, you know, and I'll, I'll catch up with him. And, and I didn't see him. So I went up to the people that had invited him or at least brought him the week before, and I said, hey, have you seen so-and-so? You know, we were supposed to grab coffee this last week. I <clears throat> tried to get in contact with him, but he never called me back. And, you know, they looked at me. You know, when you get a look that's just, oh, wait, this is a heavy look. They looked at me and said, you didn't hear. Like, I said, no, what? Oh, he took his life last week. And I don't know, you, you have those moments that are really strange in life where you're just like moments in time that are marked, you know? And for me, that's a moment in time that's become a regret. And it's a regret, I think, for me because it's a missed opportunity. It was a missed opportunity. And, and one of the issues that I have with regret is it, 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 just, it just gets you to play the if only 
game or the what if game. You know, what if I just would have stayed and talked with them longer? What if, what if I just would have um, just said, hey, I can't go right now. Listen, I'm just going to stay back here and talk. This guy needs to chat. What if, or if only I would have connected him with somebody who could have been there through the week. If only I would have called him Sunday night or maybe Monday morning, or if only if I would have just, just, and it just becomes this thing. And so I shoulder that regret to this day. I've learned this. If anxiety will rob you of your courage and if fear will rob you of your freedom, regret will rob you of your life. And I say that because regret wants to keep you dead in the moment. It wants to remind you of missed opportunities, of poor decisions that you've made, relationships that went sour, that were on you, decisions that you chose sins you've committed against God, regret truly, and how many of you know this, regret will steal your today and tomorrow and force you to live in the prison of yesterday. The problem with living in the prison of yesterday is you cannot go back and do anything different. You cannot go back and change what you have done. There is no great time machine to go and change the past. And, and, and I'm sure that if we were to complete, uh, if we were to compile, rather, a list of all the regrets of people in this room, which we were not going to do today, don't worry. But if we were to do that, I'm sure that there would be enough regret in this room to fill up a large book. Because when it comes down to it, none of us are perfect. We've all fallen. We've all failed. We've all sinned. We've all done things that scripture would define as dark, as evil. And that is what regret reminds us of. That is why regret is, man, she is such a cold, dark monster that will draw you down into the depths. What do you do? What do you do when the monster of regret continues to wage war against the fortress of your mind? What do you do when she has infiltrated your walls and laid waste to your defenses? What do you do to defeat regret? It doesn't matter what kind of regret. We all have them. We all have them. I'm thankful for the words of Paul and in, in Philippians chapter three, I love the words of Paul. He writes this letter to the church in Philippi, a young church, and, and he says this, starting in verse 13 of chapter three, he says this, one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal. Look at your neighbor and say, press on. Now listen, y'all, you guys are talking about like a bunch of church people, Okay. What I, need to, what I need you to do is talk like a bunch of real people, because I'm talking to real people. I don't, I don't have time for church people today, okay? You know what church people do, right? Church people play like everything's good. Church people, religious people play like they got everything together. Religious people play like nothing's ever been bad, nothing will ever be bad, that I've always been holy, happy, and sanctified, and everything's good. I'm not talking to those people. I'm talking about some real people today, Amen. I'm talking to people that have gone through some stuff. I want to talk to people who have a sordid past, who have had some challenges, who have made some bad decisions, because you know what that that is? That is reality. That is the human condition, the fact that we fall, that we fail. No perfect people here. And if you think this is a perfect church, you are sorely mistaken, my friend. I got some people to introduce you to. That'll change your mind real quick. 
Right. So I'm talking to real people. So not from a church person perspective, but from a real person perspective, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, press on. Right now, go ahead, press on. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just got to remind yourself, press on. Press on. Sometimes you got to look a brother or a sister in the face and say, press on. Press on. And Paul says, I press on for the goal, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, maybe you would read that and you're like, okay, well, first off, really don't know who Paul is or his backstory, but I can assure you of this, Pastor. Paul has no competition with me. Because the stuff I've done, the stuff I regret, the stuff that's filled up my closet, you don't even, Paul can't even hold a candle. And I know that because he's written part of the Bible. I mean, you can't get much more holy than that. Let me tell you about Paul. Paul, before he encountered Jesus Christ, Paul was what you would call a terrorist. <laughs> Paul is what you would call a hitman. He was a murderer. In fact, it was Paul's job to lead an army into villages and towns where he would infiltrate Christian homes. He was an enemy of the gospel, an enemy of Jesus Christ, and he would go in and he would murder men, women, children. He and his troops would torture them, humiliate them in various ways. His job was in the least to enslave them and jail them. Paul was an enemy of the cross, hated Jesus and the people that followed him. So I don't know exactly what you've done, but maybe just weigh that against what Paul has done. Have you ever, have you ever murdered thousands of people, entire villages and their children, and helped stifle out the movement of Jesus in your nation? No? Okay, you're not as bad as Paul. And yet Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead. You think that Paul ever wrestled with regret? You think he ever wrestled with the darkness? Hmm? Guilt? Shame? See, like we, we like to play like that stuff that is, doesn't exist, but it does. And you know when it comes sometimes is when we're alone, when you pull the covers up to your chin, and the music's off and the TV's off, and your wife, your husband's asleep, and you pull them up, and it's just you and your ceiling, and the thoughts begin. Anybody ever been there before? And the guilt creeps in, and the shame comes in, and the reminders of who you really are, and that people would not love you or care if they knew your thoughts or what you'd actually done. Hmm. What was it that allowed Paul, a murderer, a terrorist, an enemy of Jesus, the ability to say, I'm not living in my past? I'm not living in my past. I'm living in and for the call of Christ. I believe. I believe what gave Paul the ability to do that was that he had a proper understanding of the gospel. Now let's talk about this for a moment. We as a church, we're a church that worships in spirit and in truth. Yeah, so we write these things down. We write down scripture. We write down thoughts or points. And then if, by the way, if you're not involved in a sea life group, a small group, you're missing out on what our church is, by the way, because Sunday is just the start here for us as a church. Sea life, small groups, that's where we're going to take our notes, and then we're going to grow in relationship with each other, relationship with Jesus. You're probably going to make some friends there. Um, if you're single, you might even get yourself a wife. It's a good time. You should go. First thing I want you to write down is this. This is the thought, okay? Number one, number one, and this is a great point. 
This is a great point. I made it up, but it's still a great point, okay? Number one, the gospel is the greatest assassin against the monster of regret. The gospel, the true, living, real, biblical gospel, the gospel is the greatest killer, the greatest assassin against the monster of regret. See, I tend to believe that we wrestle and struggle with regret because we don't fully comprehend what the gospel is. And we surely don't get the power of it or within it. Now, sure, we might know bits and pieces of the gospel, but how many Christians would be able to verbalize the gospel if given the chance? How many of us, if we sat down and someone said, now tell me what the gospel is, I wonder what many of us would say. In fact, I think that if you were to ask many church-going, church-attending individuals, see what I did there, church-attending church-going individuals. Today, what the gospel is, I think that you get a bag of mixed nuts at best. I think you would get varied answers. And I think that would probably go something like this. Well, what the gospel is, I'll tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is this. Jesus came and died so that I could live a life of peace. It's the gospel. Or maybe you'd hear this. You know what, you wanna hear the gospel? Okay, here's the gospel. Jesus came to this earth so that I could prosper. Or maybe the gospel is this. Maybe it's like Jesus came to this earth so I would be happy, or the gospel is that Jesus accepts me for who I am, how I am, and loves me right where I am. By the way, that gospel, quote gospel, that'll preach too. You get some people riled up on that. If I stood up here and pounded my fist, man, the gospel is that Jesus accepts you for who you are, loves you right where you are, right? Like, that'll preach. I get us going on that, all right? And there are many churches, some small, some not small, some very, very, very large today that are indeed built on these definitions of the gospel, built on if you give more, God will bless you more, built on a gospel that says if you believe more, God will heal more, gospel, built on a if you do more, then you will earn more, more health, more favor, more money, more prosperity. And although this may be, listen to me now, church, although this may be the American gospel, this is not the biblical gospel. It has never been the biblical gospel. And so as a result, we end up like a dog chasing our own tail, wondering why we wrestle with the same guilt, wondering why God hasn't shown up in our life. Wondering why we carry the same regrets, not having the ability to offload the weights we're carrying. These definitions of the gospel will do nothing to fight against the monster of regret. Not one thing. And I'll tell you why. Because the goal of the American gospel is to make much of us. While the goal of the biblical gospel is to make much of Jesus. And any gospel that calls you to make much of yourself is not a gospel at all, at least not one defined in Scripture. Any gospel that says that you can control God in any way is not not a gospel found in Scripture. Any gospel that puts you in the driver's seat of a relationship with God 
is not a gospel at all. And so no wonder we wrestle with regret. No wonder we wrestle with anxiety. No wonder we, 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 we wrestle with fear and, and pain and burdens. It's because we've placed pain and fear and burdens, anxiety, regret on our shoulders, wondering why our God has not swooped in to save the day. It's because we've bought into a false gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, we get a biblical definition of what the gospel is. And I want you to know, listen to me, listen. Once you get this, it will set you free. Oh, God, that you would set our church free. That you would set our churches free. That we would get the gospel today. I pray that you get this today. I pray that we as a community can get this today. Look at this, starting in verse three of chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians. It says this, for I delivered to you as of, what's that say? First what? First importance. Paul is saying right here, this is the most important. This is the core. If you don't get anything else, you have to get this. This is the gospel. The first importance. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and then he was raised to life on the third day. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. If anybody asks you, what's the gospel? Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross for my sin. He was buried. He rose, he was, he rose again. That's the gospel. That's it. And somebody might say, like, well, that doesn't seem like very much. What more do you want? <laughs> this gospel is not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about something that Jesus did. Any gospel that talks about what you do is not a gospel. It's about Jesus. It's about Christ. It's about Christ and Christ alone. You cannot add to the work of Christ. It was completed. That is why Jesus, hanging on the cross in his final moment, said what? It is It's finished. Ain't nothing more you can do, man. You can't add to the work of Jesus. You can't make something perfect any better. And so when we add these little caveats or frills onto the gospel, we pollute it and make it into something it was never meant to be and wonder why it has no saving power in us. It's because it's not the biblical gospel. Paul says what the gospel is. It's the fact that Christ died. It's that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. Now, maybe you might say, great, fantastic. What does this have to do with my regret? What does this have to do with my level of anxiety? How does this help me deal currently with where I am? I would say this, to understand the power found in the gospel, we have to first understand that Jesus, being God in human flesh, died for our sins, and that he offers forgiveness for our sins. And listen, maybe, maybe you're a Christ follower in here, and right about now you're checking out because you think of what I'm going to say. You know what I'm going to say? Don't check out. Okay? Because here's the deal. Jesus forgives in a much different way than you and I forgive. If you wrong me, I'll probably forgive you. Equally, I'll probably hold it against you for a while, just being honest. And I'm definitely not gonna forget. I can try to. Like, I love the whole, like, forgive and forget. Okay, who am I? That's impossible, Dr. Phil. I can't do that, okay? I can pretend like I forgot, but if you want me to be a true, authentic person, I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember that time that you lied to me and stiffed me for five bucks. I'm going to remember that. I'm not going to bring it up, but I'm going to remember. And I'm giving you five bucks again next time we're a steak and shake. You know who you are. You know who you are. No, I'm just playing. Jesus doesn't forgive this way. Jesus doesn't forgive this way at all. 
In fact, look at how Jesus forgives, how God forgives us. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says like this, for being a single offering, he was perfected. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, this is so important to us. I'm so excited for you to hear this. For some of you, you are gonna walk out of here completely changed today because of these next couple words. Look at this. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering, any offering for sin. When you sin against me, sure, I'll forgive you. But I can't help but remember. When we sin against God, not only does he forgive us, but he remembers our sin no more. And this is bigger than, this, is, this, this, this has such huge theological implications, I can't even tell you, because God is all-knowing. How does an all-knowing God re- not remember the sin that you have committed against him, which is an offense to his holiness? I'll tell you this. God chooses to not remember What's greater than forgetting? Choosing to not remember. In fact, fact, elsewhere, Scripture says that he blots out our iniquities. Elsewhere, it says that he takes our sin and puts it as far as the east is from the west. As far as the heaven is from the depths of the sea. And he remembers our sin no more. And and what's more, this is also what we miss about the gospel. Because Jesus didn't just die for my sin. Listen. He didn't just die for your sin. He died for all your sin. This is important because the moment that you meet Jesus, you're forgiven of what you've done, of what you're doing, and of what you will ever do. That's forgiveness. That's forgiveness at its realist. That's forgiveness saying, I love you so much that I'm gonna forgive you what you've done. And I love you so much that there's nothing that you could ever do that's gonna ever make make me not love you. This is a great picture of marriage, by the way. We often don't catch this when we get married, but husbands, you in Ephesians 5 are to be the picture of Jesus to your wife. When we say for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, we don't just realize how poor we can get, amen? (laughs) Yeah. We make a covenant with one another. And what we're saying is, I trust you to a point so much that I'm committing myself to you. No matter what you do in the future, I will never leave you here, the words. I will never forsake you. The words of Christ. So many of us have bought into this, bought into this lie that says I've done too much. I'm too far away from the hand of grace. No, this is why forgiveness from Christ is so unique because not only does he forgive my sin and forget my sin, <laughs> he redeems my sin and turns my past around for my good and his glory. Amen. Man, come on, church. God uses our regrets and our mistakes as the very foundation of proving our need for the gospel and the very ammunition we use to go build the kingdom of God. How amazing is that? He takes broken things and makes them new. 
He takes imperfect things and builds perfection. Paul is the perfect example of this. 1 Timothy 1, he says this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. This is Paul now. Paul the murderer, Paul the killer, Paul the hitman, Paul the terrorist, Paul the enemy of Christ in the gospel. He says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul's not pulling any punches. He's like, listen, I'm just gonna put this out there. I'm a horrible person, okay? All of you guys have thought you've sinned. Guess what? I've done it more and better. I am the chief of sinners. That's what he's saying. Look what he says. But I received mercy for this reason. In other words, he's saying, why did God save me? I'm so bad. Why did God save me? Here's the reason. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, Paul is saying, if God can save me, he can definitely save you. If Jesus can redeem a murderer, he can definitely redeem you. And church, this morning, I want you to know, maybe you have wandered in here, you've never been to church, or maybe you've been here your whole life, and you've got regrets in your closet, you've got things you've kept hidden. I want you to know that there is nothing that you could do. There's no place that you could run or hide that is too far away from the reach of Christ. You can't do enough to get God to leave. He loves you, and your sin is never as big as God's grace. Never. Paul's an example of that. God called the worst man ever and redeemed him and made him one of the greatest Christian men in all of history. Wow, that's awesome. That's amazing. How amazing is that? I think it's amazing. We serve a God who is able to use the worst things we've done to bring glory to his name and to teach us more about his gracious patience and character. Last week, we, we read from 1 Peter 5, and we saw that we're not called to cast our anxieties on Christ, right? We, we read that incorrectly. The command is that we humble ourselves beneath the mighty hand of God, casting all our anxieties on Christ, for he cares for us. So the, we want the result, but we tr- often treat the result, casting anxieties on Christ, like the command. The command is not the result. The command is to get humble. The result of the command is the obedience that then cast our anxieties on Christ. We're all right there, right? Yes? Okay. So when we get humble, that act just casts our anxieties on Christ. I have found that not only does that work for anxiety, it also works with regrets. But there's a problem because whether we're dealing with anxiety or fear or regret, we all kind of have a similar pattern as people. I've noticed this. Let me give you an example. A couple years ago, we went on vacation. We were going down to Florida. And it was the night before my wife called me on the way home from work. She said, hey, would you stop and grab a couple chickens, Um, rotisserie chickens? I really don't feel like cooking. I don't want to make a mess. You know, we're going to bed early. We've got to get up early. And I was like, yeah, sure. So I stopped by and grabbed two or three rotisserie chickens and came home. And uh, my children inhaled all of them. They're like little animals eating. And uh, and afterwards, you know, after the chaos of eating dinner had, in, had finished up at my house, um, my wife Vanessa said, okay, Trav, make sure, listen, hon, make sure you throw this stuff away. I was like, I always throw it away. And she said, no, like, bag it up, take it out. And I was like, I got this girl. You know what I mean? I got this. Because that's how I talk to my wife at home. I got this girl. 
And, um, and so I did. I took all the, you know, this, this, these chicken bones and the chicken juice and all the you know, stuff, and I just threw them in this bag and wrapped it up. And I literally took the garbage and walked out to my garage and opened the, opened the garage can and dropped it in and went back inside. Next morning, we woke up and took off to go to Florida. Ten days. It's great. It was just an adventure. It was sunny. It was beautiful. I think we might have seen a dolphin or two. And wonderful. You know, we drove back and to beautiful gray Ohio. And <laughs> this is like January. And, and we pull in and, and, you know, then open our garage door. And as the garage door is opening, um, I got out of the minivan. And, uh, I, I, you know, I've never been on set of The Walking Dead. Never. <laughs> but I've got to imagine... It smelled something like my garage that day. My wife got out, and she was like, what is that? And she looked right at me. She knew. She knew. You know how women do that, by the way? It's like they know. And you, it's like you just try not to look in their eyes. You're like, I'm not going to. Because if they don't see your eyes, then they don't know. You know. She's like, you, you, you didn't throw away that chicken. I said, I did. I threw away the chicken. She said, no, no, no. Where it? You know, and she said, this bloodhound knows. She walks over. Oh, oh my gosh. This, you know, it's like the gates of hell have opened up and all of a sudden just like teams of flies just start pouring out. You know what I'm talking about? Horrible. And it smelled so bad. That was a bad day for us, by the way. Just bad day for our marriage. We'll just put it at that. <clears throat> We've recovered after therapy. Um, <laughs> I found that I do the same thing with regret. Not only do I do the same thing with regret, I do the same thing with my anxieties or my fears. I also do the same thing with maybe pain that people have caused me in the past. I'll kind of deal with it, but not fully. You know, I'll take regret, I'll take pain, I'll take hurt, I'll take abuse, and I'll, and I'll get out the trash bag and I'll drop it in and tie it up and walk it out to my garage and drop it off. See, the problem is when you take out the garbage, there's an extra step. You got to take it to the curb. To actually get rid of garbage, it requires you to take it to the curb. What's the difference between keeping garbage in your garage and taking the garbage to the curb? I'll tell you the difference. Garbage at the curb gets picked up by the garbage man. The garbage at the curb gets dumped into a dump truck where it's taken off and it's dealt with in a different facility. Garbage in the garage, now, it doesn't smell at my house. But if I want to go outside of my garage, I'm definitely going to know it's there. Now, maybe not at first. Maybe not the first day. Maybe not even the second day. But day 10, coming back from vacation, oh, yeah. Why? Because the composition of garbage changes the longer it sits and rots. Have you ever noticed that before? It's the same with regret. It's the same with guilt, anxiety, pain, abuse. All of us have this little door in the back of our mind that we put all of our pain and hurt, and we think we've dealt with it, but we have not. It's just sitting there rotting, getting worse over time. There's this old adage that we buy into that time heals all wounds. No, time doesn't heal all wounds. Sometimes it just buries them deeper. And one day you will go to open up that door and throw in that hurt, that pain, that regret, and you will find that there is no more room in that room. And what was once just a, a bag of chicken bones has now turned into a rotting, putrid mess where there's juice and maggots and disgusting garbage. And now it is 
pouring out because you've built it up for so long. And now what you could once control is out of control, seeping into your life, seeking into your relationships, proving that you are not worthy to even live. You've been there before? You've broken down like that before? What do you do? See, what's interesting is when we take our garbage to the curb in this metaphor, Jesus is the one who relieves it for us. But that means we have to give up control of it. We keep our garbage in our garage. We keep the garbage in our mind. We hold on to the regret because at the end of the day, even though we don't want it, we want to control it. We still think that we can handle it. We're embarrassed of it, thinking if God knew this about me, if somebody knew this about me, they wouldn't accept me anymore. They wouldn't love me. And that means we have not properly understood the gospel. Because the gospel says it's not about anything you did that made Jesus love you. He loves you on the basis of himself. Romans 5.8, one of my favorite passages, says that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Has nothing to do with you, man. Has nothing to do with you, ma'am. Nothing. You did not do anything to earn the love of Jesus. You did not do anything to earn the grace that comes from knowing God. Nothing. And now what? Now you think that you've accepted Christ? Now all of a sudden, what? You're going to lose that? You didn't do anything to earn it. How could you do anything to keep it? If you couldn't do enough to earn it in the first place, what me? Like, I would say it like this if you could lose your salvation, you would. If you could lose your salvation, you would have lost it by now. Maybe just think about that for a moment. You know something sick that I do? I do this. I found myself doing this before. Maybe you do this too. Maybe this is TMI. I don't know. For those of you over 40, that means too much information. Maybe this is too much for us. Hey, listen. I'm turning 38 today. I already I felt my bones crack this morning. Don't clap for that. Don't clap for that. You only clap if my age goes in reverse. Um, <laughs> Now, I found that I do this. Um, I'll take regret, regret, pain, hurt, abuse, anxiety, fear, an issue, right? And I'll bag it up, take it to the garage, push it to the curb. Jesus will pull up. I'll humble myself before under the mighty hand of God. You know, I can't do this, God. I can't do this. I repent of this. I give it to you. Jesus will pick it up and metaphorically, you know, like dump it into the garbage truck and he's hauling it off. And you know what I do? You know what I do? I will chase him down the road, jump into the back of that garbage truck, pull out my garbage, take it back into my house, open it up, and ingest it again. You ever found yourself doing that? Eating things that you know are not healthy. Eating the sins of your past, reminding yourself of who you did and you're no good and what your mother said about you, what your father, you are eating garbage. It's fascinating. There's a, a, a study that was just done and the findings are, it's crazy. It actually, found, hold on, I wanna make sure I get this right. The findings led to, to people believing that eating garbage is bad for you. I don't know if you knew that or not. So that was like, a way that a pastor tells a joke, sorry. Statistically, just eating rotten garbage will kill you. You do that long enough, it will kill you. 
That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without what, church? Without what? Regret. Godly grief, godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas God, worldly grief produces death. Here's how it works. God convicts you of sin. You repent of that sin. It leads you to salvation and there's no regret. Why is there no regret? Because there's no need for regret. Why are you gonna waste time regretting things that God doesn't even remember? Why are you gonna hold yourself in a prison that Jesus came to set you free from? Why would you hold yourself in a different identity than God has for you? Under Jesus Christ, you are free, you are forgiven, you are healed, you are whole, you are loved, regardless of what you've done. Travis, you don't understand what I've done. I don't have to know what you did because I know who loves you. I know Jesus Christ. I know what he said. It doesn't matter what you have done. Put in the darkest, dirtiest, filthiest, nastiest thing that your brain has walked through and it does not compare to the grace and love of Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you this morning, some of us, we walk in here and we're like, this is for somebody else and not me. No, this is for you. This is for you. Listen to me now. I don't care what you've shot into your body. This is for you. I don't care how many people you've been with. This is for you. I don't care what you looked at 10 minutes before you walked in this building. This is for you. This is for you. This is for each of us. And that's why it's the good news. That's why it's the gospel. But what do you do when you don't have the gospel? What alternative source do we have to offload this regret? Unfortunately, scripture shows us that we don't have any. Feeling bad. Worldly grief, feeling bad about something you did, living with regret, without being, being able to have the ability to offload it onto Christ or have him take it from us, what does it always produce? Death. Why? Because eating garbage will kill you. Eating putrefied garbage will always kill you. Listen, God's grace is greater than your offense. God's forgiveness is stronger than your guilt. And God's gospel is more powerful than all your regrets. In the end, defeating regret is less about something you do and more about something you accept. Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.